This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. Of course, I got Chuck Nice with me to make this happen. Chuck. What's up, Neil? All right, dude. You know, it's not it's not often we get one of my own people in a in a That's cosmic right. queries. That's Just right. my, my my kindred spirit. And today we've got Professor Hair Doctor Brian Cox across the pond from the UK. Brian, welcome to Star Talk, dude. Not your first rodeo with us. No, it isn't. No, we've been doing this for a few years now. I think it was about 10 yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, plus I've been a guest on your, on your show. Yeah. Uh, a couple of times I've been in the UK. I was there live. You got an audience and stuff. So that, that was fun. And so you, let me get your, make sure I get your bio. So you're a professor of particle physics, University of Manchester. That sounds very specific. It's not, you're not mm -hmm. just professor of physics, right? Yeah. Uh, particle, particle physics. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my, my research history is I worked, so I worked at the particle accelerators around the world, actually, including Fermilab in Chicago, uh, the DAISY okay. in Hamburg, oh. and CERN in Geneva. So that's the particle Yeah, physics. the big one, CERN, yeah. The okay. big one. Yeah, good. And so out of the UK, you've hosted multiple TV shows. Uh, the one I remember most is The Universe. And you also did one on the solar system, correct? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Solar system. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you got another one. That was in, that, that was the local version of that travel show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the bit that we might be able uh, to yeah. make it. The great the greater travel show was the universe, <laughs> and you were like, by the way, check out this neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna do multiverses. I think. And you got another one, the, uh, Brian Cox's Adventures in Space and Time. And uh, for me, what's most important is that you have come stateside you have crossed you've crossed the ocean to give a multi-city staged theater tour yeah. 
of the universe. This is this is bold, hairy, and audacious. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And by the time this posts, uh, you're in the middle of the tour. This, you know, this feels like a little bit because you got that Beatles haircut. It feels a little bit like the British invasion. You know, Ooh. coming across the, you know, taking us, putting us in a new place that we didn't even know we could land. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Very right. cool. So, Chuck, you you collected questions from our Patreon supporters. Indeed, we do have them. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, our, our listeners very excited uh, to ask Brian questions. So, do you want to jump in? Yeah, yeah, let's go straight ahead. Uh, what do you have? All right. Uh, here we go. Let's, and and I, uh, I'm a, I'll just shut up this whole time because I got nothing to add. No, if there's a little thing I'll add, Brian, I'll add it. If I'm saying, oh, not Brian, miss something, I, I'll come in. But otherwise... I'm just going to shut up here. Well, okay, we, should, we, can, okay. we can take them together, can't we? Because, you know, you know the answers. <laughs> don't worry, Brian. Don't, you ain't got to take that serious for a second. <laughs> <laughs> or, or... You know, but listen, what, it's a if, testament. Wait, wait, it's a testament, Neil. What? Neil is so excited about the universe that he cannot contain himself. <laughs> and I... I admire that. Okay. When anything, which I cannot believe as long as Neil has been an astrophysicist, that he still gets this reaction. When something is said, it you see him go like this. Oh, 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 oh. Like, <laughs> I know. I'm like, what a, dude, seriously? How long have you been doing this? I know that feeling. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's like yeah. the, the, the third grade kid in the front row who knows the answer, but the teacher's not picking on him. Exactly. Right, yeah. right. Okay. Well, it's, hey, listen, that's cool though, man. That is that's that's awesome. So right, plus, Brian, go. If, if we gotta do a nerd fight, I'm you know, I, I get those lights. I sharpen my nerd my nerd utensils yeah. here. So <laughs> I'll be ready for you. Okay, Chuck, give it to us. All right, this is uh Marcus Gustafsson. Gustafsson, who says Hello and greetings from Sweden. If the strength of gravity happened to be a little stronger or a little bit weaker than it is, how different would our universe be? It's a, it's a good question. Oh. And it's this is widely debated, actually, because um, there, there's a, a question of how much you can change the, the fundamental properties of nature. So you say the strength of gravity, the mass of the electron, the way the Higgs field works, all those things, such that you have a radically different universe. And actually, it's quite hard because you can change some things and then change something else and it kind of balances the change out. And, and so it's quite a controversial area, actually. But broadly speaking, if gravity were too strong, all else being equal, then things would collapse ultimately into black holes very quickly. So the early universe would not have formed extended structures like galaxies and solar systems uh, or stars may be very short-lived and, and so on. So you can change you can change the universe such that you would not have life in the universe if you increase the strength of gravity too much. But also you can decrease it too much and then stars and galaxies don't form in the early universe. And again, you probably don't have a living universe. Now, you, you could, the, the complication comes when you say, okay, well, what if in the early universe the, the slightly over-dense regions were a bit denser which would have something to do with um, a theory we called inflation, possibly, or something that, you know, the way the Big Bang was. And then you turn gravity down a bit. Can you kind of compensate? And it's true, you can. So it becomes an extremely dif difficult modeling challenge. And so you'll see research papers on this. How can you change the things and fine tune things? But then broadly speaking, that's what happens. If it is too strong, 
then everything collapses into black holes. And if it is too weak, nothing forms at all. Okay, so that's the, wow. phys that's the physicist answer, okay? Now we'll give you the astrophysicist yeah. answer, okay? Oh. <laughs> in, right. In graduate astrophysics 101, okay, one of the first calculations we do is what happens to the luminosity of a star if you change the gravitational constant, okay? Ooh. It's a calculation we do, all right? So you, what you do is you, you, you put a little parameter there and see what happens to that parameter as you run through the calculations for a star's luminosity. And what you find is that the luminosity of a star is extremely sensitive to the value of Newton's gravitational constant, to mm. the seventh power, okay? Wow. So, so what's interesting about that is if the gravitational constant were different, slightly higher earlier in the universe, than today, uh, as, as, as Brian can attest, there are whole branches of, of physics that think about and wonder and worry about whether the constants have actually been constant, all right? But forget whether we, can, we have godlike powers to just change it and see what happens. Were they always this good? Did they change over time? So you can look at what, how sensitive it is and constrain how much it could have possibly changed because you would see stars of enormous luminosities living out their lives very quickly in the early universe, and you don't see that. So it's, mm. to, it's, it's to the seventh power of that term that the luminosity would be affected. And seventh power is, is that times that times that times that times that, okay, all, all through. So we actually find that number uh, in intro astrophysics graduate school. And can you define luminosity for me? It's not because if you're saying that it's it's not just brightness. Oh yeah, yeah, you can't no, just yeah. Be so here it is. It's simple. Right. This this example is rapidly becoming obsolete. But take a hundred watt light bulb. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. What is that? Right. Okay. In the yeah, old days, exactly. there was like these yeah. bulbs that got. That's hot. like okay. Now here's what you do first. <laughs> uh, you dial up your grandmother on a rotary phone. <laughs> <laughs> so. So the, the wattage is its luminosity. So no matter what distance I put it from you, it will always be a 100-watt bulb. Okay, gotcha. As I get it right. farther away, it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, so that would be its brightness. That's all. Right. So that's it. So, okay. So yeah. you're saying that gravity is like a string on that, on that, uh, on the light itself, kind of like that would be making it less? No, no, it would be like a knob on it. That like a knob turning it down. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Right. So instead of pulling it back, it's turning down a lot. Okay, that's yeah, cool, yeah. So man. It's a dimmer or, or a thing it's on, a dimmer. on the bulb right. itself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there it is. Let's make the universe sexy, baby. <laughs> dim. <laughs> Let's dim the lights. Hey, you know. <laughs> How would you like a little cosmic champagne? <laughs> next. Right. Time to go to the next question. Time to go know. to the next I'm question. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> you like the sexy yeah, universe, I'm Brian? <laughs> I'm going to use them. I'm making notes. I'm going <laughs> to... All right, let's go to uh, Sandra Bayani. And Sandra says, is it possible that the laws of physics change beyond our cosmic horizon so that all of our theories about multiverses stop working and stop making sense? Greetings, fellow Earthling. I cannot get enough of this show. Please, whatever you do, never stop this podcast. Oh, Chuck, did you just add that? No, I didn't. <laughs> I really did. Actually, I, mean, I love that question. That, yeah, I love that question because it brings in our horizon and multiverses and the very theories that predict a multiverse, 
work in our universe, why should they work in another? We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will get right to the heart of that question with our special guest today. He's a special guest to me, Brian Cox from over in the UK. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops Driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk, code startalk. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. 
We're back, Star Talk Cosmic Queries. This is everything physics, because I got one of my people here. One, one of my, one of my uh, science and education brethren, Brian Cox from over in the UK, who, uh, they call him a rock star over there. And we've said this on his previous appearances, but it's worth repeating that this man had a number one song on the pop charts in the UK. So you're a literal and figurative rock star of science. Am I, have I overstated that? Brian? No, I, I think, think you I got understated that. it, if anything. <laughs> so what was the name of the song again that you performed? The, the most famous song is a song called Things Can Only Get Better, which you will say correctly is again, runs a counter to the second law of thermodynamics and you'd be right. Oh, yes. So it's an inaccurate song. But uh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, yeah. you know, as they say. All right, let's keep going. So Chuck, we left off with a brilliant question about here we are in our universe that has our own horizon and we come up with our own theories of the universe. And one of them is that there might be a multiverse. So beyond our horizon, if it's not in our universe, why should we even believe that the rules that predict a multiverse would even exist? I love that. Know. Yeah. Um, so our horizon, first of all, that there is a, a limit to how far we can see, um, which is the, the fact that our universe is of a finite age, or let's say there's been 13.8 billion years since the Big Bang. And so there's a, there's a finite distance you can see because light travels at a finite speed. So we are very sure that there are galaxies way beyond our horizon, but essentially the light has not had time to reach us from them. Um, now, actually, as Neil said in the, la the answer to the last question, um, you, can ask the, you can say, well, observationally, do we see any evidence of the laws of nature uh, changing as we look out to the most distant galaxies? And the answer is no. We have no evidence that they change in the patch of the universe we can see. So that's the observational point. Um, but when you start to talk about the laws of nature in different regions of the universe, our multiverse, as you said, then it becomes more interesting. Um, one multiverse, there are lots of different kinds of multiverse, but one of them is called the inflationary multiverse. So we have a theory called eternal inflation, which essentially leads to the idea that there are perhaps an infinite number of um, bubble universes of which ours is one. And the piece that we can see, the observational, the, the, the little piece we can observe is a patch in one bubble universe amongst perhaps an infinite number of bubble universes in the inflationary multiverse. And those theories do lend themselves potentially to, to the laws of nature in each bubble possibly being different. And the way I sometimes picture it is like a snowstorm with snowflakes so every snowflake is different um, because it's had a different formation history. Um, but there's something similar about them all, which goes to the underlying structure, which is to do with the water molecule itself. So there's something similar. There's an underlying framework, but every snowflake is different. And the, the inflationary multiverse can be like that. So you can imagine that the laws we see, things like the strength of gravity, sort of crystallize out as these bubble universes form from the, uh, the, the, the potential, which is the, the, this thing called inflation that's potentially going on all the time. So, so it's possible that different universes have different um, emergent laws, things like the strength of gravity. And we, we, I think most physicists probably all expect that there'll be some kind of underlying framework which could, something that we don't know what it is, right? Something like string theory or something which underlies the whole thing. Um, so that, uh, maybe Neil wants to add. I love your snowflake analogy, but suppose that uh, 
do you have enough latitude in your eternal inflation, inflationary multiverse model to have a universe that has five-pointed snowflakes instead of six? I mean, is how much room do you have to just make stuff up? <laughs> we don't know. This goes back to, it links to something called the string landscape, which um, Leonard Susskind actually wrote a great book called The Cosmic Landscape a while ago, detailing this theory. So when you look at string theory, which Just is, remind me, Leonard Susskind is the one who's a big exponent of the holographic universe. Yes. That's the same yeah, guy. He's, one of the, he, yes. he's been at the cutting edge of physics for decades, right? And um, so in the string landscape, the idea is that um, in string theory, it turns out you can have, uh, there's a number that they calculate. I don't know how they do it, actually. But it's something, well, I do know how they do it. It's, it's something to do with all the extra dimensions being curled up and stuff. It doesn't matter. But essentially 10 to the power 500 different possibilities. So one with 500 noughts after it. These are the different ways that you can produce um, laws of physics like the ones we see from the underlying theory. And that was seen as a really disappointing. That's a lot of wiggle room right well, there. It was, it, yeah. but, but, but the way I see it, it's, it's almost like saying we understand DNA. So in biology, we have a theory. We have these things, A, C, D, T, T and G, right? The four different bases that come together to form DNA. And it's like saying, okay, so there's an underlying theory. It's pretty simple. It, it's the, the double helix. It's chemistry. Out of that, it's like saying, right, predict a human being. So, of yeah, course, you can't, do that. You can't right. because there are many different combinations of DNA, and we have no understanding yet of which ones would work and which ones wouldn't, and which ones can be realized by evolution and which ones can't. You know, it's just, it's a I mean, it's an astronomical number of combinations of just to make humans, yeah, exactly. let alone all so, forms of so life. So, it's like saying right. we understand the basic chemistry that gives us that thing, DNA. But then from that, predicting a particular instance of that, an organism, is of course it depends on its history, it depends on all sorts of things. And it's, it's the same. However, can you, if you look at that like, um, I don't know, an alphabet to create a language, yeah. um, can you rule out the nonsense? For instance, if you know English, you know that uh, HLPPP5 is not a word. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, right? There's a grammar. So are you able to kind of rule out the nonsense that, okay, these things would not happen, and so even though it is a possible combination, we know that it's kind of gibberish, how do we narrow that? Well, I mean, we, we don't. I mean, we don't know. We haven't got the expertise. We don't really know what the underlying theory is. Um, but, I mean, for example, gotcha. you could imagine a bubble universe that forms and gravity is so strong that it just collapses again in a millisecond. There may be many universes like oh, that. Wow. So that might be, you know, as you say, that might be a universe that we consider was just never got going. So it's undoubtedly gibberish. true. That That's a gibberish that universe. That's a gibberish universe. <laughs> universe. So it might just about form and then collapse again, for example. <laughs> you'll, know, you'll know if you meet a life form from there because there's this like... <laughs> 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 yeah. So not only are the laws of physics gibberish, so is their language, right? That's what exactly. you're saying. I, mean, I just want to emphasize, this is speculative stuff. So the string landscape, as I said, Leonard Susskind's book is great on this. Uh, and then the link, though, it's interesting that inflation, which Neil will know about as well, that's a theory that was introduced initially just to um, deal with something called the horizon problem. You mentioned the horizon. It's essentially the, the unexplained point that if you look out 
look in one direction out into the universe as far as you can and then turn around and look in the other direction. Then you're looking at points that emitted light that we're receiving now, that now in the universe is something like 93 billion, I think it is, light years away, right? Yeah, it's around the there, universe. yeah. So you're looking at points that in the standard model of things could never have been in contact with each other and yet are at the same temperature to one part in 100,000, which is an observation. So that means inflation was initially... So just a quick thing, Chuck, I think we did an explainer on this. Uh, There was something where I was talking about uh, that the universe has has a more uniform temperature than different parts of the same room you're in. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's because we were, with that explainer, we were talking about Redshifting is kind of how we got into Oh, it. that's how we got there. Because I was saying yeah. you have an air conditioner in a corner, you have a heater over there, and you're fine yeah. if it's a five-degree range in a room that's talking to itself thermodynamically. Yeah. And now we have across the whole freaking universe, and it's, when, uh, it's within a hundred thousandth of a degree, yeah. which is completely mind-boggling freaky, and we needed a freaky explanation yeah. for so it. inflation was the idea that once upon a time they were in contact. And then the universe expanded very, very, very fast for, a, for a, probably a small amount of time. Um, and, so, and so we thought that they couldn't have been in contact with, with each other, but in fact they were. And so that's why, why inflation right. was introduced. But it ended, up, Interesting. it ended up doing several things that it was not designed to do initially. One was that the thing that drives inflation which has got a fancy name called Inflaton Field, but it doesn't matter. Oh, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a breakdown in the supply yeah. chain. <laughs> yes. oh, inflation. Oh, it makes that look <laughs> trivial. Right? Uh, 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 two, two points were doubling in this. If you take the two points in the universe, then they double, the distance between them doubled every 10 to the minus 37 seconds in the, the basic models of inflation. So it's much worse than we're going through now with prices. It's an incre- exponential expansion. <laughs> um, but in look- Much worse is an understatement, yeah, there, yeah. just to be clear. But in That's looking right. at that, mm-hmm. um, uh, Stephen Hawking actually was involved in this, and many physicists in the 80s found that these theories... Well, just a sec, Chuck, Chuck. Last time we did this, he said Stephen was involved in this. I know. Steve, yeah, he, he's cleaning it up this <laughs> he's time, clean, Neil. He's, he's t- yeah. He'd been a little he's better. Like Stephen Hawking. I, I <laughs> we got to hear the last <laughs> name here. This time. So, so that, that theory, it was discovered, predicted that there would be ripples in the density of particles in the universe through the Big Bang as inflation drew to a close which are the ripples that we see in the cosmic microwave background radiation, which you may have talked about, and also actually in the distribution of galaxies across the sky. So there's a distribution. They're not just completely random across the sky. There are patterns in the galactic distribution. And that was predicted before it was observed by this theory. So the theory is interesting and textbook, but you'll find it in cosmology textbooks. But the eternal inflation bit, which is kind of an add-on to that, ends up with this idea that inflation doesn't stop everywhere at the same time, basically. So you get multiple bubble universes. And then that theory was noticed that that's a mechanism to realize the string landscape, which gives you the possibility of varying the laws of nature in each of those bubbles. So that was the history. So it's not just, it sounds fantastical, but it's not just like somebody just dreamt it up one day and said this would be good. I try to make that clear because otherwise they think we're just pulling stuff out of our ass. And it's... it's, uh, even if it is out of our ass, it's very carefully withdrawn. <laughs> yeah. it's very By the way, that's uh, that's one of the universes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a central black hole. Yes. Yeah. Time to go to the next question. <laughs> yeah, really. Time to go to the next that. question. 
Okay. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. Hitty Wegemans says this. Hello, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Cox, and Lord Nice. And I bet you can't pronounce my name correctly. You win that bet. (laughs) (laughs) Get no argument from me. Uh, (laughs) And the name is I was asking... What's the name? Is H I D D E W A A G E M A N S. I said Hitty Wigmans. Okay. Uh, And he's from the Netherlands. So. Oh, oh, that that helps how to pronounce that. Yeah. Yeah. Hide Wegmans, maybe. Maybe. Hide Wegmans. Okay. And uh, yes, it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, if it's Dutch, it's. He (laughs) says, I'm asking myself after I watched the movie, The Atom Project. If you really can, time travel with wormholes. By the way, oh, here we go. Uh, Chuck Hitty is pronounced hidden without the N. Who knew? Hidden. There so, you go. Hidden. Yeah, wormholes. Okay. Yeah, you got to read to the end so you can help you pronounce it. So I, people I, help listen, you out that there. Is t- that is too much work, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so, so, Brian, we're talking about time travel and wormholes. Uh, I presume, we. I, I think everyone knows with Einstein relativity, you can travel into a future, all right? Or at least into the future of where you once were. So let's confine this to, can you go backwards in time? Do wormholes enable this at all? Wormholes are getting increasingly interesting, actually, um, particularly in the study of black holes. We can, we can get onto that. But um, so, yes, uh, wormholes are allowed geometries in Einstein's theory of general relativity. If you just take that theory alone, what do I mean by that? So they really are shortcuts through space and time. So you can imagine, you know, traveling from New York to Sydney, it takes a long time. You go around the surface of the earth or you could tunnel through and you could get there quicker. So, so yes, if wormholes exist and you could travel through them and they were big enough and stable enough, then you can build a time machine. And um, now, virtually every physicist who works on this, and Kip Thorne, actually, who got Nobel Prize for Gravitational Waves, did quite a lot of interesting work on this. Um, it, it looks like when you bring... And he was a main advisor in the movie he Interstellar. Was, yeah. He was, in fact, an executive Which producer. has a wormhole. And the robot in that movie was named Kip. It was, and, and it has a wormhole. Oh. Knows that. So, yeah. um, and he also actually suggested to Carl Sagan in contact that wormholes were used in the film. In, in the, the movie and the contact, and the, yeah. novel, in the story, in the story. So, um, mm-hmm. so the, when you add quantum mechanics into the mix, which is the theory of everything else, because our universe hasn't just got gravity in it, it's got all sorts of other things in it as well, obviously atoms and electromagnetic radiation and so on, then it seems like the wormholes are inherently unstable, the big ones. And if you try to travel through one, it collapses. And they, they were called Einstein-Rosen bridges before they were wormholes, and they're, they're built into the basic description of a, of a black hole. If the black hole had, listed, uh, had lived forever, it's called the, eternal, the maximally extended Schwarzschild metric, right? Whatever it's called. But it was, mm. that which was discovered mm. by Schwarzschild in 1916, just after the theory was published. Then there's a wormhole in there, right? So they're just fundamental to the theory. But most physicists believe, and Stephen Hawking wrote a paper actually called The Chronology Protection Conjecture, Conjecture, where he thought about this. Oh, that, that there will be he was a rapper. <laughs> yeah, chronology, chronology, I can even say it. You can say it. I can't say it. Chronology protection conjecture. Um, but uh, that the, these things would not be stable and you can't travel through them so you can't build time machines. However, it's worth saying that wormholes are becoming very, very fashionable now 
in what's called the ER equals EPR paradigm. So Einstein-Rosen, ER is Einstein-Rosen, this thing from the 1930s where Einstein and Rosen noticed that they, these geometries exist in space-time or can exist. EPR is Einstein, Podolsky and Rosen, spooky action at a distance. It's quantum entanglement. And so what now is very fashionable and looks as it's one of the best explanations of how information gets out of a black hole is that this plays a role. So you can, there's a kind of a dual description. So we've got quantum entanglement, which is this spooky action at a distance thing where you separate things to large distances and they're still um, linked in some way. Um, the linked in some way is starting to look possibly like you can describe that in terms of wormholes, microscopic wormholes linking them mm. together. But this is really, this is stuff that's been done now, 2020, 2022. So it's, um, it's on the edge but people are taking it very seriously. Okay, so wait, wait we, let's let's pause there and come back. But all right, now you've established that we agree we can think about wormholes, but you haven't told us how to go backwards in time. When we come back, Brian Cox is going to tell you how to go back <laughs> and not kill your parents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you an even simpler way. If you really want to go backwards in time, get married and do something wrong. Because <laughs> she will never let you forget. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck, for your marital, put, splitting your marital issues into this podcast. <laughs> Star Talk will return with Brian Cox. We're going to find out how to go back in time. Be there. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mère and mère somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring. Or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash StarTalk. Visit IXL.com slash StarTalk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... 
Can I have a charcoal mask? Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. We're back. Star Talk, Cosmic Queries. Got Chuck, of course. And Brian Cox, my friend and colleague from the UK, is uh, taking the United States by storm and a little bit of Canada in a multi- dozens of cities. He's bringing his major theatrical production of. Uh, do you give it, give it a title or is it just. Everything you want to know about where we are in the universe. How about that? <laughs> is that the title? Horizons. Horizons. There it is. And Brian Cox, you can find his schedule in briancoxlive.co.uk. Uh, just do a Google on Brian Cox Live. It'll send you there. And you can see the whole schedule. And he's coming through town with a hugely visually spectacular display. And this is what, you know... This is what stages are for. If the universe is the biggest stage of them all, he's brought the universe onto into theaters. So, Brian, welcome to town for this. So, we left off with uh, describing wormholes, and I have to tell the story. Just I have to, Brian, I have to tell this, okay? Uh, Chuck, so Brian, you just stay on the side while I tell this to Chuck. So, Chuck, I'm in the I'm in London, and I'm a guest on Brian's show, and we're talking about okay. space travel and space exploration. And uh, and he's got a whole audience there. They're all UK people, okay? And they're kind of, they're new to me and I'm a little new to them, but they know Brian. But And they know I'm American. So I talk about the future of space travel. And I say, maybe, you know, no, chemical rockets are not going to work. We, in order to do this, we need like warp drives or ideally wormholes. And then we can do this. And Brian kicks in and said, wormholes are unstable and they'll collapse and you can't do this. He's correct. But that's not the point. The point was the audience, do you remember what the audience said? The audience said, that's why the Americans discover everything. (laughs) They're so optimistic about everything. That's why they went to the moon and we're stuck here in London. And so you lost your audience on that comment, Brian. It's true. And I had them from that. It's true. true. Because they they liked my American, uh, some of it's just me, but then I realized a lot of it's just American enthusiasm. So, so, Brian, how do you use wormholes to actually travel backwards in time? Is that possible? Well, so, yeah, if, if, if they were stable or you could stabilize them in some way, then you could use them as time machines. Um, and uh, that's considered to be unlikely. Um, mm. But it, it really is true to say that we do, well, it's very true to say we don't have what's called a quantum theory of gravity. So we don't really in any sense, understand the the deep merger between relativity and quantum mechanics, which you need to understand to answer that question. And um, uh, many mm-hmm. physicists point out that we don't, you know, it, it feels like it's no way to build the universe. I mean, we're, we're all aware of Back to the Future. We've all seen Back to the Future. We all know the paradoxes that happen if, you, if time travel is a reality. So, so I think if you pushed most physicists and said, don't be formal about it and don't say what I just said, which is we don't understand quantum gravity yet, um, it, then most physicists would say, okay, we think the laws of nature will be such that there aren't stable, macroscopic, big wormholes. Um, that's what I think most physicists would say. So you could have a universe uh, which permitted time travel and was not full of contradictions if there were no free will at all. 
So the whole universe itself is completely Ooh. consistent and the time travel is built into the consistency. So that's a, and that's actually what you see in Interstellar. So that, that happens in the plot of Interstellar. He can't okay. stop it. I'm not spoilers, you know, but he can't stop himself leaving his daughter's room in the past. Uh, and by the way, that's, that's also what happened in the story Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, mm. which is a time travel story on top of being a World War II story. But his, as, and I, I think Kurt Vonnegut got it right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian. He just described your life is always there. You're always being born. You're always dying. You're right. always in school. You're always in love. And you just rejoin where you were on yeah, that timeline and relive that. Mm. Kip Thorne's birthday parties, there's a proceeding. So, so Neil and I, when we go to scientific conferences, you have a proceedings. It's a big thing. And Stephen Hawking gave a, a talk and it's written up in the proceedings of his birthday party because he's so eminent. And, he, and Stephen said, um, said that Kip has become increasingly interested in time travel through wormholes as he's got older. <laughs> That's how he started. <laughs> That's how he started. Oh, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's good. Uh, that's good. That's good. I, I Chuck, well, this is our third of three segments. Uh, give me, give me a few. See if you can slip in a few more questions here. Before All right, here we go. This is this Catherine Cellarini Moore, who says, "Doctor Tyson, Doctor Cox, Lord Nice, hoping that you can hear Doctor Cox elaborate on he alluded to in his YouTube video regarding time and space not being the stuff." from which everything else is derived. Rather, that time and space may be derivative of something much bigger, Ooh, much or deeper. deeper. Yeah, this comes deeper. from the, uh, <laughs> the study of black holes um, primarily. And the, the I would say it's fair to say the cutting edge as of now is that it looks like space and time emerge from quantum entanglement. So we mentioned entanglement. Before I should say what it is, by the way. Should I say what it is? Sure, sure, so, sure. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. imagine you have a, a coin and you can toss it and it can come up heads and tails. Um, if it was a quantum coin and there's two of them, they can be in what we call a state such that you could separate these coins out across the Milky Way to the edges of the universe. And you just look at one of them and you could toss it and it would be heads and tails. You can look at it and it's heads, you look at it again, it's tails. 50% of the time looks completely normal. But actually, if you got back together after doing lots of experiments on this thing, you would find that the coins never came up heads at the same time or tails at the same time. They're always heads, tails, plus tails, heads. Or heads, tails, or tails, heads, right? They're, they're always opposite. So you can build a quantum state like that. That's called entanglement. So it's an interesting thing. It's kind of, um, it's like the information, all the information contained in this system of two coins is somehow spread between them and they don't behave as individual entities, even if you separate them to vast distances. So that's entanglement. Is that they, because, they're, because they're not just coins, they're also waves? And the waves know about each other outside of the local place no. where the coin is getting flipped. No, it's... it's um, if that's the truth, then I've been saying it wrong all these no, years. No, they... they, um, they Really, they are the best way to consider it is it's a it's a single system, and the the information, the structure of the system is, is a property of the whole thing. I mean, that's Why the isn't that the wave function? That's got to be the wave. Oh, function. it is the wave. Yeah. So, so you can write. Oh, that's, the, what, the I'm wave, that's what I'm trying to the say. The wave function. Okay. You write it down. It'd be a uh, heads tails plus tails heads is an example of okay. a wave function. And for the for the mm -hmm. geeks there, we can have a one over root two there in front of each one if we want equal probabilities. But it, You've gone the key too point far, is it's, Brian. It's, 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 <laughs> this, 
You, you had me at wave, you lost me at one over root, well, whatever. Yes, it, 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 okay. so, so you can have lots of Anyway, so that's an entangled system. And it, no, wait, deep in there is that the, 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 there is a term that's squared in the wave function. So he's got to put the square root of two so that when you square that, it becomes a Yeah, half. if I want the 50 okay. thing. Um, yeah, he, he, yeah. Th that was a missing piece of what he yeah. was saying there. It's okay. the amplitude. Go ahead. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. so, um, so that's entanglement. It's, it's a fundamentally quantum mechanical thing, and it's very well understood, and we use it in technology and quantum cryptography and so on. So it's a thing. It, this is how the universe works. And it does seem as if, um, as I mentioned before, the idea that you can also interpret that as having wormholes connecting these things together. I love it. Essentially love it. what you're seeing is that entanglement and space are intimately related. Um, that's the, the modern way of looking at this, the very modern way. And uh, I, I think it's fair to say that most physicists would say that the entanglement is the fundamental thing. And so we're, we're beginning to think now that you have a theory of quantum mechanics, quantum field theories, um, on some surface or something. And then the entanglement actually produces the space. I mean, it's true to say that entanglement, I've seen it said, which is a beautiful thing to say, that entanglement is sort of the glue that keeps space together. And so entanglement mm. is, seems is fundamentally related to space. Mm -hmm. And therefore time, but it's more, more obscure how it relates. So that's the next uh, sci-fi frontier because uh, the latest... Uh, Doctor Strange is uh, madness through the multiverse or something. So they got the multiverse in there, and he's opening up portals, which are basically wormholes, as he, you know, jiggles his hand. So now we got to somehow get down into the very fabric of the space and time itself. That would be good. All right. Chuck, we got just a couple minutes. See if we can go into, like, uh, lightning mode, lightning round okay, here. Okay, if we go. can. Uh, well, let's lighten things up here with uh, Lindahl Fries, who says, uh, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Ty Dr. Cox, uh, Chuck, here is, uh, is there a parameter edge of the universe? And where in relation to that edge is the Earth or the Milky Way located? Are we closer or farther to the center of the universe? Also, how do we know the universe is expanding? And is it just that our instruments are getting stronger? Okay, so we need What's that in a soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, we're, we're not at the center of the universe. We're at the center of the observable universe because that's just a piece that we can see. But um, the universe right. extends way beyond that horizon. And uh, so it could be infinite in extent, but we don't know. So, um, but it's much bigger, I think, than the piece we can see. So no, we're not at the center of the universe. It might be an infinite universe. And um, we know it's expanding just very simply because we look at light from distant objects and that light is stretched. And the... the, the uh, the explanation is that light is a wave and it's traveling through expanding space. And so it gets stretched as it journeys. And what the, the, the basic observation all the way back to Hubble is that the further away you see- Hubble, the person, the, the, the person. Hubble. Yeah, yeah. Hubble. The, the, the further away the thing is, the more the light is stretched when it reaches us. And that's what you would expect if space were expanding, um, essentially at a uniform rate. It's actually changing a bit. It's expanding a bit faster now. Um, okay, so, so there is no, so if we went, if we said, I want to go to my horizon, let's, uh, Chuck, let's leave tomorrow. So then yes. what would we see? We, you'd see the same universe as far as we know. So you could go to the horizon um, and uh, look around and you'd see uh, a completely uniform universe with the same kind of distribution of galaxies. 
So it looks so like a ship at sea, it's carrying its horizon with it. Yeah, with it, so right? yes, that's a good example. Yeah. If you go to the horizon on, on your boat and go to the horizon mm -hmm. 20 miles away, whatever it is, um, and then right. I, I probably got that number wrong, and now all the flat earth people will go, see, you didn't know. Because <laughs> but there is a horizon, whatever it is. <laughs> it's way closer than 20 miles unless you're in a crow's okay, nest. Right. Oh, yeah. yep. yeah, so, it's just a, so you go to the horizon yeah. and you just see ocean. And you go to the next horizon, you right. just see ocean. And that's what the universe is like as far as we can tell. With yeah. minus the fish. I mean, that's as simple as going to the top of a hill. You experience that anytime, like you're driving up a hill or on a bike. You look at the top of the hill and it just looks like that's the end. You get at the top of the hill and it's just more of the same. Yeah. More, more, more. It's just you know, more this time you're looking down. Yeah. That's cool. All right. All right. Let, let's go to Alain Bredot. This might says, be the last question we have time for. Okay, okay. go. Alain says this. Hey, Neil, Chuck, and Professor Cox. Uh, um, we have electron microscopes to probe smaller stuff than with regular light microscopes. Do you think somebody is going to come up with a quark microscope or something of that Ooh. nature that will enable us to see even smaller or get closer to those strings um, Ooh, I love it. Cool. that theorists fantasize I love about. Wow, Elaine. Let me just set that up just real quick. So regular microscopes use visible light and visible light has certain wavelengths. So if you really think about it, a visible light telescope can't see anything smaller than the wavelength of light you're using because the light would just wash over it and wouldn't be able to bring it into focus. So electron microscopes use basically, I think, Brian, is it X-rays? Because electrons and X-rays are the same thing at certain, you can, you can beam electrons to have an energy level of that of an X-ray, and X-rays have really small Wavelengths. Yeah. So now you can see detail way smaller than visible light. So this questioner knows it's this really cool. about electron microscopes. It's a great question. And wants to take it another step. And there's a really great so fundamental it. point to make here, which goes to black hole physics actually again, is that, um, so as you make, um, if, you, if you take the wavelength down, quantum mechanics allows you to think of um, light as a wave or as a stream of particles called photons. And if you shrink the wavelength, the energy of the photon goes up. So that's just basic quantum mechanics. So the smaller the wavelength, the higher the energy. So you get to a point where if you want to probe smaller and smaller distances, what actually happens is you make a black hole because you put so much energy into the small piece of space that a black hole forms. What? And then as you put more energy in, the black hole grows. And so, um, so you end up reversing that process. Because, it, because as the black hole grows, then you get less and less resolution again. <laughs> so there's a limit. Um, so how wait, small wait, 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 wait. So I'll step in here because Chuck didn't. You kept talking after you said, yeah, first you make the black hole and then you continue. <laughs> so you, can, you put more and more energy in. So I'm saying this sounds dangerous. <laughs> it's an in-principle argument, right? We're talking about in principle. Oh, it's a uh, thought right. experiment. So the point okay. is that you get to a point where if you try to cram more and more energy into a smaller and smaller amount of space, which you have to do to see the small thing. You have to get more energy in, right? The smaller wavelength. Then you, because you're using photons that are higher and higher or energy. Anything, yes, higher, or, higher or anything, energy. electrons or whatever it is. Then, yeah. then you form. There comes a point where you form a black hole in that region, and then you. And then yeah. you can't see anything yeah. because your microscope got sucked in. <laughs> because you did. You, <laughs> you, you, you'll have less resolution. So, 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 so it's called now. Leonard Susskind writes about it, and it's called. Well, so ignoring the complication that you'd be dead 
and ignoring the complication that you'd be dead and you've destroyed the Earth, you'd have less resolution. No, you wouldn't, because it'd be a tiny, yes. mind, tiny black hole. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't notice tiny. it, except you'd stop seeing yeah. it. So you can't probe smaller and smaller distances forever. I think Suskin calls it the UVIR connection, ultraviolet infrared connection. I think that's what he calls it. So, um, but it, but it's a fundamental property of the universe. So black holes stop you from doing that, Man. going to smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller distances. Those pesky black holes. Yeah. And yes. again, it's fundamental. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pointing to fundamental physics. So we go all the way back mm -hmm. to this idea of space and time and the link to quantum. Right, right. Dude, we got to wrap it up there. Oh my gosh, did we wow. cover the universe here? Whoa, whoa. Uh, I know you're active on Twitter. Where, where else are you active? Because you're Prof Brian Cox on At Twitter. Prof Brian Cox. Uh, where else are yeah. you? I'm on Facebook as well. Um, but um, tw Twitter is my usual mode of mode of communication. I don't know why. Mm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Just yeah. a habit, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's but, a habit. It's quick and yeah. quick and easy and and and, and sharp. And so, uh, so it's been a delight to have you on this Cosmic Queries on this his British invasion of North America. <laughs> So United The Brian States, is coming. The Brian is coming. <laughs> the Brian is coming. Uh, bringing his Horizons tour through multiple cities. Check it out, briancoxlive.co.uk. Brian, always great to see you and hear from you, and we'll connect again. Chuck, love you, man. Love you, too. All always right. A pleasure. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. As always, keep looking up. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.